Happy Easter. We are glad that you're here today. In addition to Ben's welcome, I want to welcome you. My name is Paul, one of the pastors here at Hope. And uh, if you are guests with us, if you've uh, come from out of town, you're celebrating with family or friends, whatever the reason you're here today, we're just really glad that you're here, and we hope that you are blessed. It is Easter, and I have some good news for you today. Life altering, earth-shaking, eternally making news. Jesus Christ has claimed victory today over sin and death. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so what I really, 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 really want you to know today is that no matter how bad it is, no matter how big the struggle, no matter how bad the news headlines are, no matter how much anxiety and fear they're trying to sell you, that Jesus Christ sits on the throne and he has a rock-solid promise today that you can build your life on, that the joy of the Lord is greater than the despair of the world. Amen? Amen. Okay, I feel like preaching today. (laughs) All right. Today... I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you this Easter story and why it is the most important story that the world has ever experienced. I'm going to tell this story by going back, by going way back, not to our Gospels today, but actually 700 years before, to a guy named Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. He's a a mouthpiece of God. And he lives in the nation of Israel at a time when a nation is divided. At a time where people were putting politics over faith. At a time where people were just following whatever whim or fancy or God that they might want to follow. In a time when people have become comfortable with that Corruption in a time when there's increasing geopolitical pressure from outside nations. Sound familiar? I want to talk about Isaiah because in Isaiah 53, 700 years before the cross and the resurrection, Isaiah predicts the events we're celebrating today. Let's jump back there. Isaiah starts this way. He's talking about this suffering servant, this Messiah that will come for the sins of his people. He says this, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low self-esteem. Isn't that true of Jesus? He had no beauty or majesty that we should be attracted to him. We don't even have a picture of Jesus. We don't know what he looked like. Who is this Jesus? He didn't hold a political office. He, he didn't write a, a book, although some books were written about him. He, he didn't have any earthly wealth. He, he was born in a barn on the run from the authorities, from a young man. He had to flee to Egypt before he could come back. He suffered. He was persecuted. 
He didn't have any friends in high places. He, he didn't hold any political offices. He didn't paint any paintings. He didn't sculpt any sculptures. He didn't win any elections. He didn't command any armies. His followers were 12 ordinary, simple guys, young teenage boys to be exact, fishermen, laborers. And he used these men and he taught in such a way that he changed our world. You wouldn't think it would work that way. Jesus had no power or influence or, or worldly might or notoriety, yet this person, whatever you believe about him, yet this person, Jesus Christ, changed our world more than anybody else. If you came here today skeptical about this Jesus, thinking it's all uh, been exaggerated, it's just made up, I, I have to tell you today that, that scholars, atheists and Christian alike, all agree when you look at the history, Jesus Christ was a, a real man who had the most influence of any person who has ever walked this planet on our world. Who was this humble, despised and rejected Jesus? Isaiah continues and says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. How could Isaiah have known about the cross? He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. In order to understand the significance of the resurrection, we need to reflect for a moment on Friday. We need to reflect for a moment on what Jesus endured on the cross. Jesus suffered for you. He was betrayed by his best friend, Judas. He was arrested. He was placed on trial by the powers that be. The crowds cried out for him to be crucified. He was innocent completely. Pilate, the Roman leader of the time, gave in to the demands of the crowd. He washed his hands of the whole situation. So they took Jesus. They stripped him of his clothing. They tied him to a post. They mocked him. They punched him. They spit upon him. And they flogged him. It was called 40 lashes minus one because 40 was thought to kill a person, so they only gave you 39. They did this with an instrument of torture the Romans had come up with called the cat of nine tails. It was a whip with nine ends on it with rocks and skull and fragments of hard stuff laced into the leather so that it would tear flesh, it would rip sinew right down to the muscle and the bones. There wasn't a drop, an ounce of Jesus that wasn't beaten and pummeled. And then they put a purple robe on him. They, they called him King of the Jews, mockingly. They, they twisted a, a crown out of thorns. They shoved that crown on his head into his skull. And then in that beaten, exhausted state, they made him carry his cross to a place just outside Jerusalem called Golgotha. 
He couldn't even carry it all the way. He was so beaten. And so they conscripted a man named Simon of Cyrene to carry it the rest of the way. And there they nailed Jesus, the innocent one, the Lamb of God, to that cross. It was a horrible, shameful instrument of death that the Romans had devised, reserved for the worst types of criminal. The nails were put in your wrist and in your feet so that every time you had to breathe, it would pull on the nerves, shooting pain throughout your entire body. The way you died, maybe you'd last one day, two days if you were super strong, three. And the way you died was from asphyxiation. You, you couldn't get a breath and you literally would drown in your own lungs. And, and, and Jesus, after he died, a Roman soldier who had no knowledge of Isaiah chapter 53 takes a spear and pierces him in the side. He was pierced for our transgressions. And out of his lungs flows water and blood, the water because of the asphyxiation. Why? He was pierced for our transgressions. He, he suffered and died on a cross for our sin, for your forgiveness. There's two stories from that cross that illustrate this powerfully, that, that make it without question. One is this, Jesus is overheard looking at the crowd and saying this. He's looking down at his mockers. He's looking down at the religious leaders who have put him there. He's looking down at the crowds that are reveling in his pain and destruction that have showed up like it's some sort of sport. And this is what he says. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's written that on either side of Jesus were two thieves also on crosses. And again, this was the worst sort of punishment. So these guys weren't just considered petty, hadn't just committed petty theft. They, they were violent criminals. They had done something so egregious that they deserved the death penalty. And one of those thieves on the cross in his pain, he joins the crowd. He mocks Jesus. You're the son of God. Get down off the cross. Save yourself and save us while you're at it. But his friend, this thief, this criminal, this violent criminal turns to his friend in a moment of incredible repentance and he says to his friend, quit mocking him, and he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And just like that, forgiven, Jesus says, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why did Jesus die? He, he died he suffered, he bore the cross, he was pierced for our iniquities, he was crushed for our sin. And here's the good news of that cross. It, it doesn't matter how deep that sin is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. It doesn't matter how unworthy you may feel. Liar, thief, lust-filled, adulterer, violent, abusive, murderer, gossiper, rapist, cheater, selfish, greedy, glutton, self-righteous, proud, hypocrite, self-absorbed, vain, angry, careless. You didn't realize I might be talking about you today, huh? doesn't matter how, how deep your sin is. The grace that we experience, the mercy that we know in Jesus Christ is greater. And then Isaiah continues. He says, we all like sheep 
have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isn't that the definition of sin? We're like sheep. We, we, our heads are turned by the latest fad, the latest soundbite, the, the, the quick promise, the, the false illusion all the time. We, each of us likes to go our own way. Nobody's going to tell me what to believe, what to do, or what to think, right? Because I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm God in my kingdom. But we're all like sheep leading ourselves down paths that won't really fulfill us, wells that are shallow and have run dry. We think that salvation lies in our division, that, that the answer is somehow on the right or the left. Look, last time I checked, it wasn't a donkey or an elephant that died on that cross. It was a lamb. It was Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God, the once and for all sacrifice that covered the sin of this world. So don't be a sheep gone astray. Don't be fooled by the false temporary promises of this world. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other name under heaven by which one might be saved. There is no other way that you should go except the way of the cross, the way of Easter, the way of the empty tomb, the way of Jesus. Don't follow the empty paths of this world. Follow the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah continues, he says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers, silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit, in his mouth. All of those things came true. All of those things. Jesus was held trial. He was falsely accused. He was nailed to a cross. He didn't protest once. He didn't protest once. He was betrayed by, by everyone. His, his best friend, Judas betrayed him, his, his best friend Peter, his lead disciple, the one who we'd build the church on later, the one he would forgive, denies knowing him three times after he's arrested. He's completely abandoned by this world. Jesus stands alone because he stands for us all. And after he's dies, he, he's taken by a guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. He and a, a man named Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a powerful religious leader of the time, arrange it. They ask Pilate so that they can put him in his own tomb. Jesus, just like Isaiah says, 700 years before, is put in the tomb of a rich man, dead. And then Isaiah says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. It was the Lord's will to crush him. You know, the worst pain 
that Jesus experienced was not the pain of the nails. It wasn't the, the cat of nine tails. It wasn't the insult. It wasn't the mockery. The worst pain that Jesus experienced was the complete abandonment of God. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that when Jesus died, right before he died, he cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God because in that moment of the cross, he took on all of the sin of the world. He bore the judgment that you and I deserve. He, he took our place. He, he was abandoned by God for our forgiveness. It was the worst pain, this separation, this spiritual separation from God. John's gospel said that, that as he breathed his last, he cried out, it is finished, it is finished. Let me be clear, does it mean I have lost or I, I've given up? The word here, tetaleste, in the Greek, it, it means this. It, it means that, that if you were an artist and, and you had painted a picture, or if you were a carpenter and you had finished a project, you would say, tetaleste, my work is done. Tetaleste means this, if I'm a banker, and somebody owes me some money and they pay their debt in full, I would say, tetaleste, your debt is paid in full. Tetaleste is used in this context. If you're a soldier and you go to war and you win the battle, you would say, tetaleste, the war has been won. It is finished. The job is done. The debt is paid in full. The war has been won in Jesus Christ to forgive all of mankind, to redeem creation on the cross. And Isaiah continues. It says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life onto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Not only does Isaiah prophesy the cross, he prophesies the resurrection. After he suffered, he says, he will see the light of life. Jesus died on a cross and was buried. The, the devil and the demons, they danced a little jig. They, they thought they had won. Death had thought that it had won. Chaos ruled the day. The earth shook. Peter and his disciples hid in fear. His followers dispersed for a moment. It seemed like all had been lost, that hope and violence and oppression and injustice had won. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had the rug completely pulled? Hold out from underneath you? Have you ever been in this point where you have no hope, where it seems that all is lost? That's where Jesus was. That's where the world was in that moment after the cross. And then one, two, three days later, just when it seemed that pain and death had won, here's the good news. The stone was rolled away. Did you hear me? 
The stone was rolled away. Death couldn't hold him. Our sin couldn't keep him in the grave. Jesus claimed victory over sin and death. Hope is alive. He is risen by his wounds. We have been healed. In his death and resurrection, we will live forever. Romans 6 says it this way, for if we have been united in a death like his, we will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. Do you hear this today? Because he lives, you will live eternally forever. Love wins. Jesus wins. Romans 8 says this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power neither height nor depth nor anything all else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Love wins. Love will never let you go. He loves you. He suffered and died for you. He defeated death for you. Because he lives, you will live also. So people of hosts, don't be shackled by the bad news of this world. Don't get bogged down in the misery of your mess. Jesus rose from the grave today. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up. Grab a hold of the victory that Jesus won. If the mountains should tumble and fall into the sea, if the earth cries out, if wars will rage, if the world around you is falling apart when all seems lost, when hope seems out of reach, I have some good news today. Jesus Christ is victorious. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The grave is empty. Death has been defeated. Do you hear me today? Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. And a little child shall lead him. Spoiler alert. I've read to the end of the book. I've read to the end of the book. Jesus wins. He wins. Death is defeated. Sin has lost its grip on us. No more tears, no more suffering, no more crying, no more pain. Sin, death, and the devil defeated. You don't belong to this world anymore. You've been adopted into the family of God. No scheme of man, no power of hell can ever pull you from his hands. Whatever problems you might be facing today, they pale in comparison to the promises of God. Jesus wins. Stop chasing after the false paths and quick fixes of this world. Surrender to his love. He will never fail you. He'll never let you go. He will never abandon you. I want to tell you about this today. I just don't know how. I want to tell you about my Jesus. My Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. His love is great. His grace is infinite. His forgiveness and mercy and compassion are without end. He is Savior, Messiah, Redeemer, and friend. My Jesus is so humble and kind, yet at the same time, he is mighty and powerful. He, he, he loves the unlovable. He forgives the unforgivable. He's miraculous. My Jesus breaks the chains of addiction. My Jesus confounds the powerful and lifts up the powerless. My Jesus is the bread of life. He's the water 
water that quenches every thirst. My Jesus is grace upon grace. He's a friend to sinners. My Jesus is comfort and peace. He's the one that carries our deepest burdens. He weeps with those who weeps. He rejoices with those who rejoice. He, he forgives. He loves. He calls us by name and he says, grab a hold of my hand. Get out of that pit of sin that you're living in. Rise up. Rise up. Rise up, child of God, and grab a hold of the promises of life that I've set before you. I wish I could tell you about my Jesus. He saved me. And he changed my life. And I wonder, have you met him too? Father, we thank you that the tomb is empty. Because if it wasn't, there'd be no hope. We thank you that you have claimed victory today in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that that resurrection reality and promise would live in us today, each and every day. And that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that you are love, that you are a redeemer and a friend. And so Lord, guide us and lead us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.